Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. You might recall in June and July of 2018, what is now known as the Thai Cave Rescue, where 12 young soccer players and their coach, affectionately known as Eek, were stuck in a cave. Now, he taught them mindfulness to be able to survive this trauma and situation that they were in. And it's really interesting because when the parents were shown videos of their children in the cave, one mother pointed out that they seemed quite serene. They looked, she said, look how calm they were sitting there waiting. No one was crying or anything. She said it was absolutely astonishing. Now, Stanford University meditation expert, Leah Weiss, who was taught by the Dalai Lama, says that meditating probably was the crucial key that kept that group alive. And while we're not actually stuck in a cave, or most of us aren't and aren't likely to be, or in any other potentially life-threatening situations very often, that mindfulness is still relevant in our everyday lives. You know, we're surrounded by stresses. We're surrounded by situations which are challenging and we can get hijacked so easily by, by our brain, by, our, by these stresses. And we actually lose focus. We lose the ability to be able to think clearly in those situations if we aren't able to be mindful. Hi, I'm Karen Tui Boys, and I'm passionate about lifelong learning. And I'm Megan Gallagher, and the heart of all I do is about igniting your spark so you can live the best life you can right now with what you have. In this podcast today, we're talking about mindfulness. So what is mindfulness? Well, according to the Headspace website, Mindfulness is the quality of being present and fully engaged in whatever you're doing at the moment. So this is about being free from those distractions. It's about having an attitude of non-judgment and self-compassion in the moment and being aware of what's going on around us, of our own thoughts and feelings without judging them, without getting caught up in them. I'd also add that it's about being mindfully or deliberately choosing strategies to help you solve problems and think through difficult situations. This intersects with the work on metacognition and the ability to think about your thinking. So Meg, why is this so important? Isn't this all just new age (laughs) woo-woo? Well, one would think so, but this, this sort of practice has been around for a long time. And you know, there's massive benefits to being able to be more mindful. So being more mindful is about being here in the present moment. And when we are, and when we're more more able to do so, we have more patience. Um, our, Our focus and productivity actually increases. So this is a good thing if we're thinking about our work or, you know, learning in the classroom. If we want our children to learn more and to get more from the wonderful things that we're doing as teachers and educators, then mindfulness is going to help if we can if we can help our children to learn about it it's going to help them to be able to learn better it gives us the opportunity to be compassionate for ourselves and others because we become in touch with our feelings and that's really important 
And then there's a heightened body awareness. And again, that's being able to take that feedback from our body so that we actually behave in a way that's going to be helpful and healthy for ourselves. And thankfully, there's also a reduction for stress and anxiety. And in our current space and time, I think that's a fabulous thing. We need more of that. I think it frees our mental headspace to be able to problem solve more effectively and respond mm -hmm. more intelligently when things are difficult and when they are hard. And I think it's also about fully being present in joy, grief, connection, whatever we are doing and truly feeling those feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, honestly, it does help. Like here's an example. Um, I remember sitting in my classroom, I may have used this example on another, another podcast, but I remember sitting in my classroom one day and it was pretty chaotic and clearly things weren't going as well as I would have liked. And I remember this huge sensation inside me welling up and I just wanted to scream and I could feel, I could actually hear it in my head. It was this really loud voice wanting to scream, nobody's listening to me. But before I did that, what I did was I, I took on a, 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 I used one of the practices that I'd learned from Tara Bra Branch, Brush, I think it is, which was rain. And basically the first thing I did was I recognized what was happening. So I noticed what was happening in my body because I was connected to my body. I could feel the feelings in my body. And then I, ex I allowed the experience to be there. So that's about saying it's okay to have the feelings. It's just is what it is without the judgment. And then after I could get to that space, then I could investigate it with a bit of care and, and interest, curiosity. Like, where did that come from? That's interesting. How old? And, and actually, it tied back to a disagreement that I'd had with my husband the night before and clearly hadn't resolved it, really. And then finally, it was nurturing with self-compassion. So then it's like, okay, so things are a little chaotic around you right now. How can we, how, how can we brain, body, everybody working together, help to resolve this? It meant that what I did was instead of screaming and yelling and losing my cool, I actually stood myself up, shook myself off, um, noticed what was happening around me and worked out what I could do to solve the problem without losing my call, which would have damaged my relationships with my students, would have caused me more stress and tension and anxiety in the end. So that being able to come into that moment and to be fully present in your own body is really helpful. Mm. I had the same experience recently. My husband was away for two weeks and I kept feeling like I was hungry all the time and I was needing chocolate, sugar. And I actually became present to that, mindful of that and realized actually what I was, was lonely. And yeah. that I, somewhere in my brain, the link of if I eat the sugar, I'll feel better. And therefore I won't feel the loneliness. Whereas when I just felt the loneliness and then took measures to be able to connect with him or connect with others, it made a huge difference. But you had to take that mindful approach to it rather than just the reactive approach. Yeah. It's like holding a full water bottle. Have you ever done this? Or this is a great strategy or idea to do with the children. Get them to hold a full water bottle in their hand for one minute. It's not very heavy. Now, get them to hold it for 10 minutes. And it feels like it's getting heavier. Now ask them to hold it for an hour. It's <laughs> more challenging. This reminds me of those TV programs where they have those challenges. We have to be able to stand on one foot for a very long time or you get booted off the island, right? <laughs> but then put it down for one minute and pick it up again. And suddenly it feels lighter again. 
And I think mindful practices are like this. It allows us and students to put down the heavy feelings, the anxiety, the fear, the worries, just for a period of time, which allows you to relax and calm. And when you go to pick them up again, they're easier to deal with. Yeah. And, and actually that brings in the idea of meditation and mindfulness. Because I think a lot of people think that this is a really complex thing that it's hard and hard to practice this sort of behavior. And, and it is and it is something that we have to be aware of. Like we have to actually make the effort because I think for lots of us, we are so caught up in this busyness and the what's happening next and planning three steps ahead and having, you know, plan A, B, C, D right through the alphabet just in case, because we don't know what might happen, that it's very difficult in, initially for us to actually make sure that we bring ourselves to the present moment. But it's not... It's, it's not out of our realms of, it's not, not out of our reach. We can access it if we've got a few simple strategies and tools. And with meditation, meditation is really a, an intentional practice. It's usually something that you sit down and you say, I'm going to meditate for a certain period of time. And it's to help you to engage with being here, being now, and being able to clear, clear some of that clutter in your mind and things like that. Whereas mindfulness is the act of awareness as you're living your daily life. So it's about noticing and being present right here, right now, no matter what you're doing. And it doesn't have a time frame. It can, you can be mindful for 10 seconds. You can be mindful for 10 hours. Although that would be quite a, quite a feat, I'd find. At least go for 10 minutes, I think would be best. But, you know, you, it's not a, a, there's no distinct time frame for it. Mm. And it's about the mindfulness practice is really about being able to bring yourself back and go, okay, so what's happening right here, right now? And being, being here right now. And so I hear a lot of people say, oh, I can't meditate. But what they're actually trying to do is just stay present the whole time. But actually what meditation is, is continually bringing yourself back to the present. So it's okay for your mind to wander. That's great because then you bring yourself back. And then you bring yourself back and then you bring yourself back. And hopefully over time, because it's a practice, hopefully over time, you can actually spend longer in that present moment rather than the mind wandering. So yeah. I love that idea. I had the joy and pleasure several years ago now of going out for dinner with Goldie Horn, the Hollywood actress. And I, I know it was an amazing experience. And the reason we got to go out for dinner with Goldie Horn was because she has been trying to make a difference in the education space with her money and her time and her influence that she has. And through these practices and how to help children be better at learning. And the one thing that they put into place, she employed, by the way, lots of neuroscientists, including Dr. Judy Willis. And they looked at many different practices to help children learn better. And the one that made the biggest difference of their program, and if you want to look it up, by the way, it's called the Horn Foundation. The research showed that when students painted in some form of mindfulness activity for up to three minutes, three times a day, they had a better positive mindset and improved well-being, which led to better learning. Three minutes, three times a day. Just That's slightly less than 10 minutes. It is. <laughs> but, and it didn't have to be all at once. That was the incredible thing. You know, a great opportunity to do that is just when they come into class and 
eat, eat, you know, three times a day. It could be just then. It could be in the middle of a class that you just, when they're starting to get a little bit edgy or when they're getting tired at the end of a class, it might be that you just ask them to do that. So, and often one of the ways we do that is through the power of breath. So Meg, why is the breath so important? Well, the breath is where we can actually center ourselves. You know, it's, it's one of the, I actually talk to my students about it being a superpower. It's one of our two superpowers. Our breath is one and stillness, the ability to find stillness within ourselves is the And so for, for me, when I'm thinking about the power of breath, the power of the breath allows us to, to open up and to access our thinking brain. When we can slow things down, when we can actually say, I can control my breath, I can choose how much energy filled, rich oxygen and, and air I bring into my body, and then I let it out again, I now have capacity to be able to access that higher thinking of my brain. If, our, if we don't uh, manage our breath, what happens is that, and particularly in stress, we breathe fast and shallow, and that doesn't give us that great, beautiful, oxygen-rich breath to go around. And it tends to make us feel more tense and more stressed. And then that becomes a negative loop. And in controlling our breath and slowing our breath down, we actually send a, a subconscious message to the brain saying we feel safe, we feel comfortable, we are, we are loved, we are in a good place. And then we're more able to access our learning and to be able to think clearly. I think it's worth using an interesting distinction right here that I came across a few years ago. And that is that if you are able to get lost in a book or in a activity, gardening, and you're totally focused on what you're doing, if you watch a movie, if you're playing a game and you're totally focused, that is also mindfulness. So it's not just this meditation, breathing and trying to be you know all one it's just power of intention and focus of being present to what you're doing can you read to the bottom of the page without getting distracted can you read the whole chapter without getting distracted so it's those ideas as well I know that we participate in a group with Carrie Brightwell where we color mandalas once a week and so her healing mandalas are amazing and just sitting for an hour coloring in every Tuesday night is just incredible because the focus that you have to do that and being aware of your thoughts but just being present of that present moment getting rid of everything else if you can and just being there I always sleep better straight after that and I know one of our friends Anna does this in her classroom she actually holds three times a week a mandala coloring or drawing class for students at lunchtime to come in and they just absolutely love it because they're practicing that mindfulness while they're drawing or coloring and it helps them calm and center. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? It is indeed. So one of the ideas, let's get into some ideas about how do you do this in the classroom or how do you do it for yourself? One of the ones that came from the Goldie Horn Foundation was just to invite students to lie on the floor and maybe close their eyes. Now, I want to give an asterisk thing. What do you call that when you say? A caveat. A caveat. <laughs> An asterisk. I want to give you a caveat on this. <laughs> Be very mindful when you are asking children to close their eyes, because for some students, closing their eyes can cause a trauma response because they don't know what's going on around them and they need to be able to see what's going on around them to stop 
those uh, negative feelings and perhaps that trauma coming up. So I always say, give children a choice. You can either close your eyes or look at a spot on the floor or the roof and just focus on that. So that for some, we don't want them to close their eyes. So the strategy is to invite them to sit or lie down quietly, maybe with your eyes closed or just staring at a point, and then play a chime bar, just one ding, or ring a bell, ding, and listen how long that sound lasts. And when they can no longer hear the sound, invite them to raise their hand. And what the Goldie Horn Foundation found out was that if you've repeated that daily, and by the way, the teacher timed, how long you know the students could hear it for it actually increased so it's that being mindful about what you're hearing so mm. what's another strategy that you use me oh one of my favorite ones is is about connecting with the breath and that's the i call it the five star breathing so that's when we hold our hand up and we use a, a, the index finger on the other hand and we slowly trace around each of the fingers and as we do, when we go up the finger, we breathe in, we pause at the top, and then we breathe out slowly as we go down the finger. When we get to the bottom, we pause, then we breathe in going up, pause and going down again. And we do that for our hand. I love this one because it's one, you know, we take our hands with us. So we, you know, it's a tool that you can use anywhere. And there's a sensory element. So it's not only about breathing, it's also the feeling of the touch on your hand. And that can help bring you back into the present moment when you've got yourself quite scattered or quite anxious about what's going on. And I know I use this a lot with our students and it really does make a difference. If you want somewhere to start, one another place to start is just to time students for one minute and ask them to count how many times they breathe in and out during that time. And then they can compare numbers with the people around them. And then it's not a competition, but now you repeat it and recount and see if it was more or less. And usually when I've done this with audiences and with children, it's usually less the second time because they are taking fuller, deeper breaths. And the goal is to have less breaths and, but not to hold the breath. So just, you know, being mindful about that breath is a great way to do that. And actually I've found when I've done that with you, the reason for me why the second time is, is less breaths is because the first time you're not really mindful of how you're breathing. You're just counting the breaths, but the second time it feels like you're actually noticing what's happening with your breath. And so it's not just counting, which I think is, re is part of the powerful thing with that exercise. Another thing is mindful walking and eating. Um, you know, how often do we as staff leap into the staff room grab our food and eat it while we're running to the next thing if we choose to eat at all it's incredibly powerful just to sit down even if you sit down for five minutes and taste your food enjoy it you know food is an absolute pleasure um, our, our bodies are actually designed to find food pleasurable because then we'll keep eating and then we won't die so it's a good thing so, you know, being able to actually give ourselves times to savour, savour the flavours and enjoy our food is a fantastic thing. And that's bringing us into that mindful moment. And same with when we're walking. If we notice that how our feet are moving on the ground, if we actively notice what's around us as we're walking, if we just notice the feeling about the muscles in our bodies moving, again, that's bringing us back into that present moment when we're walking. We're not just getting from A to B, we're enjoying the journey. 
I love that mindfulness chocolate practice where you put, oh. you have to smell it. You have to, we look at the colors on the wrapper and then you smell, unwrap it slowly and then you smell it and then you just put it on your tongue and you let it melt and mindfully eating chocolate rather than what normally I do is just shove it in and, you know, I'm <laughs> up to half the packet. I've forgotten that it even tastes, right? So <laughs> this idea of just being mindful. And I know that I've actually put a practice in where I actually go and have lunch away from my computer and away from my phone. Uh, so I actually, in the summertime, I'm lucky enough to have a little spot in my garden that, to be honest, I've lived in this house for over 12 years and I've only just discovered this spot in my garden that would be great for mindful eating and lunch. And so I spend my lunch time. So I take, if I can, half an hour. Now, when you work by yourself, that feels like a very long time, but I take that half hour and I sit in the sun and I eat my lunch and I am mindful about what I'm eating. Do you find that makes a difference with your productivity afterwards, Karen? Absolutely. I find that I have far more energy afterwards and I'm far more focused. So it's actually, it's, so it feels like you're cheating a little bit because you're taking time out, but actually it isn't, is it? No, not cheating at all. It's actually giving me the energy I need to sustain that harder part of the afternoon that you often go through. Mm. Love it. And there's no reason why we can't do that in schools. Correct. Another exercise that I used, have used with my students is a grounding exercise. And this sort of ties in what you were saying before about the chocolate and about that, the listening and, you know, engaging with our senses. And so on a cue, it might be a bell ringing, it could be, or, or just that we say, this is now the time we're going to do this. But what we do is we pause and then we go, we look for five things we can see, four things we can physically feel, three things we can hear, two things we can smell, and one thing we can taste. And this, again, all of that's done with awareness, focused noticing. I do, a, I do a truncated version of that, so I do three, two, one. So it's three things you can see, two things you can hear, one thing you can feel. And it's that intentional noticing. So it's not just I notice that my glasses are sitting there. It might be I notice my glasses, they're on the table, they're pink. There's a wee smear in the corner, I need to clean them. There's little flowers in the corner that are made out of metal. The pink fades, there's a slight sort of shimmer of glitter in them. So I'm noticing with intent. I'm not just looking at them going, yo, these are my glasses. And that's a, that's a really useful tool for grounding, again, when we, we we're anxious to bring us back into that present moment. I know that was a technique that one of our teachers at Spectrum Academy used on us when she took us for a very long tramp, overnight tramp, and it was hard and it was difficult. And she said, all right, I want you to find three things as we're walking that are yellow. And so we'd be all looking for yellow and then she'd go, okay, two things that are blue. And you, when you're in the bush, blue's hard to find. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, six things that are red. And so we had, so, but it helped us really focus and become present and not worrying about that our packs were heavy and that we were exhausted and tired, but actually we were focusing and being present to the bush and things around us. And I saw so much more than just trying to get to the destination. Yeah, that's a great that's a great technique. Wow. And actually, I've done that with the color with my class. I've taken them outside, stood them all on a big a big court, all in their own wee space, and and asked them to just focus in on their own breathing. It's not talking time, and then asked them to notice all the things that are purple. 
and then ask them to notice all the things that are orange. And it was, and it's been an amazing experience because actually we were quite unsettled beforehand. We popped outside, so we we're in the fresh air too, which is always good for us. And five minutes later, we're back in the class and we're refocused, re-energized, and able to carry on with our day. It's also a great strategy just when you're looking at a painting. So art observation, can you see all the yellows? Look at the green, look at the blue, and look at all the different colors, and then look at different shapes, and it helps you be more mindful of what it is you're actually looking at. So Meg, are there some apps that you know of that are useful around this? Yeah, and actually these are some of the ones that I use personally, and I've used in my classroom as well. So there's Insight Timer, which has a, a, a free, it's partially free, and that's got a range of guided meditations, some music that you might listen to, and some stories and some courses as well. Then there's Headspace. Headspace is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Again, it has the guided meditations, some really great music, and some other tools to use. And finally, there's the Calm app. And I think that might be hooked up in part, and don't quote me on this, but I think Goldie Horn's foundation might have something to do with that Calm app. I'm not sure, though. Don't quote me on that. But that has some wonderful, wonderful tools for children as well as specifically designed. And I, I use the Calm app actually with my son sometimes, and we listen to sleep stories if we're really struggling to get to sleep at night. So that's, that's a fantastic tool too. Nice. So ultimately, we really want students to be aware of their thoughts, their feelings and their actions and how they impact on others. But we also want them to be able to be to pause, to be mindful, to be able to choose strategies and solve challenging situations to be able to think. And of course, these practices are all just as good for adults as they are our students. Absolutely. In fact, I think that if we practice these, then our students are going to learn from us just by the way that we are. So we'd love you to share what do you do to be mindful for yourself? What are you doing with your children in your classroom to be mindful? And what is the impact of that? What benefits are you seeing for yourself personally and for your students? So let us know. We'd love to be able to share your stories as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. It's our pleasure to offer this to you because what you do matters. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Matter podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators. So please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps. And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.